Nini White here on the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. This conversation is dedicated to all parents and teachers, too, who are seriously concerned about the powerful draw that video games, technology, anything tech has on today's kids. Jordan Shapiro is, um, among many other qualifications, a senior fellow with the Joan Gans Cooney Center at Sesame Street Workshop, where he does research on how technology impacts childhood. His research and accomplishments are wide-ranging, as is the respect he's earned nationally and internationally. You can check out this show's notes to gain more specifics about Jordan's long list of qualifications as a trustworthy guide for our thinking around this mega-challenging topic which most definitely impacts kids' social and emotional learning and the well-being of family relationships. But, academic qualifications aside, Jordan practices what his research reveals in real day-to-day life with his two sons, which is why I am especially grateful to him for carving time out of his incredibly busy schedule for this conversation. All right, let's get started. Thank you for being here. Jordan Shapiro, this this conversation is almost too exciting for me. I have to get strapped down in my seat. Welcome, welcome to the uh, Big Picture well, Social Emotional Learning Podcast. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. It's 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 a pleasure. <laughs> you came highly recommended, and then uh, I watched your TED talk and was uh, uh, okay. I'm going to get too excited here. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it just makes such a difference because so many families have felt so much resistance to the technology that's in our children's and our students' lives now. So I'm going to be asking you some questions that are going to help parents and teachers relax. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, honestly, when I, when, I, when I first started doing all this work and did the TED Talk, you know, so much of what I was trying to say was just to convince parents that they needed to, to have some level of, of acceptance. And, uh, um, of course, the, the, that, that, that's no longer something I have to convince uh, because in, in, in a pandemic world, we don't have much of a choice. But, but, but I think most of the lessons stay the same. Isn't that interesting? I mean, there are many, many silver linings to this pandemic, that's for sure. So um, uh, where to start? I think, I think the, one of the points that I saw you make that very important was our resistance to change and to seeing our kids, you know, moving in a world that uh, we're not comfortable with. Would you like to talk on that subject first? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, it, it's sort of two, two, two sided. I mean, absolutely, we have a we have a resistance to uh, to to change. Um, I mean, in, 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 we we tend to like change, um, um, but but we resist change that forces us to think in new ways and to see things that in 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 new ways for understandable reasons. It's 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 mm-hmm. a hard thing. It's a hard thing to do. Um, you know, for for me. 
the, the bigger concern is I think that there's a lot of, I, I don't think parents are totally wrong, right? I, I, I came from a place of real deep fear about, uh, about, about what technology, the, the digital technologies around us are doing to, uh, to our children and how we prepare them to live with these technologies. And I think we've often been uh, very resistant to acknowledging that they're here and then teaching the kids how to live with them. And that's what I want to, what, what I'm always after is, is, you know, this is not me going, hey, I think everything about digital technology is great. This is not me mm -hmm. saying, hey, you know, I think hours of video games are good for kids. Um, mm -hmm. uh, um, but, but this is me going, hey, on some level, we have to say, this is real, this is here, and this is the world they're living in. And if we keep saying, you know, the world you're living in is bad, we're not going to be able to prepare them for the world they're living in and to help them find the good habits to be able to, 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 to live a, a, a good life with, with technology. And if we keep telling that it's bad, then what are they going to do? Say, oh, okay, or are they going to rebel? Hmm. Well, see. you know what? It's, it's even it, to me. I think there's an even more heartbreaking thing, which I, you start to see already in a lot of the surveys. Is 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 they 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 integrate our guilt and shame about it, right? So you so they did a Pew survey a few years ago where every every kid said they think they're they're too, spending too much time with technology, and and they you know they're just parroting all the things you hear from parents, which I think. Get, creates a sort of sense of self-loathing, right? They they li end up oh. living with this guilt, which I find much much more problematic than 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 the rebellion. You know, rebellion's great in in, in kids as long as it's, it's measured, <laughs> but yeah. but. Uh, but but and what it, I don't want is that natural rebellion to feel to, to come with feelings of of shame and feelings of just you know constant inadequacy. Oh wow, that that's just a whole other dimension of profundity that you're bringing to this whole conversation, which absolutely must happen. Um, so, can we talk a little bit about? Um, okay, good. You've said that it's not a black and white issue on any of these levels, but uh, this one thing about the brain science and you know spending too much time. So, how do parents find that balance, especially for little kids? You know, how do they find that balance? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the the first thing I would say is is a lot of the brain science is is, is really um, inconclusive, right? So we, you know, the media loves it, or they love to, to to talk about how somebody did a study that so, showed some that suggested some correlation between negative outcomes, right? But if you really read it, as I did for years when I was writing the book. Um, the, the, if you really read it, you discover that a lot of it, even most of the studies say that it's in, that it's inconclusive, right? Or the, contradictory. The, they, <laughs> Some of it contradicts. Well, there's certainly studies that contradict, but even the bad ones, if you read them yeah. carefully, the ones they, they say they they say, you know, all this suggests is that we need to that we should consider this possibility and do more research, right? Mm. <laughs> very, mm. It's very hard to find one that says absolutely this is this is bad or that there are that there are negative outcomes coming from it. So so I certainly I think parents need to find a balance but but what i encourage parents to do is to not fall into what i call the the on off switch mentality where they think that this is really an issue of of, of duration right how, how, how much screen time is a child getting because that's really not the issue the real issue is how is that screen time integrated into a a, a, a whole a whole child's life a whole child's psychology their way of being um and and, and you know i have two kids um mm -hmm. uh, one of them, I think that uh, one of them 
spends a lot more time with screens than the other, and that's good for him because that, of, of his particular, particular way that his psychology is constituted. Um, my other son would be really miserable if all he did was <laughs> stay on the screen. But, but, mm -hmm. but, but the first one that I was talking about, actually that is how he finds social connection and, and a sense of well-being. Um, and I think we really need to deal with this on a kid-by-kid -kid basis. And this sense of duration sort of tells us not to do it. I mean, you know, we sort of have this, I often joke when I do uh, public speaking, which I don't do right now, obviously, but when I used to do a lot of public speaking, um, mm -hmm. uh, people will always ask the question, well, well, what's a healthy amount of screen time? And I, I used to joke, oh, it's exactly four hours, 23 yeah. seconds right. a day right. after brain damage, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> Right. right. It's never it's never that that black and white. Um, and so I think you have to consider your own child. And and, and it, it, if you're really starting to see a, a ne negative well-being, then absolutely, um, uh, you know, intervention is appropriate. But often what we think of as negative well-being is is our own frustration that we wish they weren't doing the things that, that, that cause mm -hmm. us sense of shame, <laughs> which is not mm -hmm. the same as theirs. Mm -hmm. And also, um, part of it, I think, is that we are uh, putting onto them our own uh, responses when we spend too much time on the screen, but we probably spend even more time on the screen than they do. So I just know that uh, I want to communicate that to kids. I'm sure that parents want to communicate that. So maybe there's some modeling they can do or purposefully say, whoa, I really got too much. I feel like I'm, my head is buzzy. I mean, is there any kind of a way that you can help parents? You see what I'm trying to say? Help parents yeah. to help kids come to their own best conclusions about when they've had enough. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a little complicated because one, kids are t tend to not be very good at coming to their own conclusions right. about right. when they right. had enough. Right. Right? And our, so our job as parents is often to, to, to help them, uh, uh, um, um, you know, interpret their feelings and think yes. about how to catalog them and make the right choices based yes. on that. And they make a lot of wrong choices on the way to learning that, that we know right. for, 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 you know, that's true in anything. That's not just digital. That's, that's true. You know, my, yeah. you, you, your, your kids will eat too much ice cream and they think they love it and then you have to say trust me you're you're not you're eating too much you need to slow down i need to right. create some boundaries for you because you're not capable of doing that yourself i that's right. absolutely true but i think i think the real question is and, and i would say even to what you just said about uh, uh, grown-ups feeling like we spend too much time on screens we should also look really at what's happening on screens, right? I think grownups are often uh, um, think they spend too much time on screens because they they are often doing the sort of busy work of uh, the uh, 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 of their professional lives on it, right? Um, they're mm -hmm. often doing you know the same thing that we all hate about meetings, right? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's often these unnecessary communications back and forth that are just draining. But I think if, if you look at some kids, they're not necessarily doing that. Often, what they're finding are really really um powerful meaningful experiences in their in their in their digital world that, that give them a that give them a, a a sense of autonomy and give them a sense of of agency and we don't want to take that away um yeah. we yeah. certainly want to teach them how to have that autonomy and agency in multiple parts of their lives right it shouldn't be a right. you know if they, all they have is digital autonomy that's a problem um yeah. but 
but that's really the question to me. You know, if you see a kid who's getting really depressed from their time in a, a for example, in a social media situation, then an intervention, you go, hey, I don't think that's making you feel good. Maybe we should think about creating limits. But if you're seeing a kid who is just, you know, the thing that drives them, that makes them excited, that makes them happy is playing Minecraft or Roblox, right? Then the last thing you want to do that is say, hey, hey, let me take away this thing that is your entire social life, your entire sense of, of meaning, of, of making meaning in the world. Right, right. And I love the way um, you emphasized in this TED Talk that I saw that, that it's, of course, it's helping them be problem solvers, which is so important. And they'll be problem solving in the, the world that they're growing into, not into our world so as much as their world. Well, both. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, that's absolutely right. You know, you know we, there, there's, there's, there, there's so, you know, almost all the research on, on, on how kids develop social and emotional skills and executive function and self-regulation is that it, it happens through social play, right? It yeah. happens through... Yeah. Through, the, through, through these playful experiences. And I think the big problem that many adults have is that they, 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 think, of, they think that the play they experienced equals play, right? <laughs> that this is the definition of play, but there's no, mm -hmm. there's no essential version of, of, of play. It's always changing. It's always connected to the economic paradigm. It's always connected to the technologies around us. You know, um, you know I, played on, I played on aluminum sliding boards. My kids play on plastic sliding boards, right? That's a technology change right mm -hmm. it, it, so imagine how silly we'd think it was if someone was like i think plastic sliding boards are are are, are hurting our kids ability to, to play right mm -hmm. no they, what's happening is they're moving to different kinds of play spaces and those play mm -hmm. spaces no matter what they are part of what we're talking about when we're talking about building those social emotional skills through play is being able to use the tools and the objects around them in community right in a social situation and so uh, you know i actually think it's super important that kids need to get digital play because they're going to live in a digital world right um and i think mm -hmm. that they would have, going back to the previous question right i think they'd get they, they, they would have a lot less of the feelings that we have when we spend too much time on email if they learn the social lessons at a young age to be able to manage that part of their communications better. And by that, what do you mean? I wonder, because one part of me that's wondering is, uh, I think for me, a concern with kids is that they're not getting that physical interaction, that eyeball, that facial, that body language, those kinds of lessons from the digital well, uh, relationships. I, I think that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. They're, they're, mm -hmm. I mean, they're not getting that, but, the, but these, this isn't an either or, right? You need both ways yeah. of being, right? You, yeah. Need, yeah. you need to be able to do face-to-face -face social skills and you need digital social skills. And they, they involve mm -hmm. di different things. They involve different kinds of social cues. They involve different kinds of expressions mm -hmm. of tone. They involve uh, different kinds of, of, of coded expectations. Uh, and to think that, that the face-to-face -face alone would ever get someone to be able to immediately jump into the, into the, into the digital social sphere without any adjustment is, is problematic. As a college professor, I see this often, actually, less now than I used to. But when I first started, you know, you would often find uh, students who just don't know how to, how to talk in a digital place, right? They think their professor is, a, uh, is, is their friend to text with, right? Um, and they don't, they don't have those, those sort of skills. Um, but um, now, I don't know if they're going to get that from playing a video game, but they certainly get better skills 
skills about how to connect with their peers from playing online video games, right? And those will eventually translate into, into email skills. Um, now that again, that is not that should never be at the expense of uh, of the face to face physical play. Absolutely right. not, right? I, I'm, I'm, there's no part of me saying, "Hey, we can ignore all the face to face physical play." <laughs> but there is a yeah. part of me saying we also can't ignore all the digital play. <laughs> good, right, right, uh, very good. That that's important that that point is made very clear. And so then, um, you're your advice and your guidance on how to, for a parent to say, hey, can you show me how this works? And then just share in the experience of the video game, please talk about that. And then on the opposite side of that, give us uh, guidance on how to say, help the kid move away from the game or the screen when the parent can see that the kid's overdosed, but the kid doesn't see that yet. So we need both both ends of that phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the first thing I would say is, is um, you know, let's use, let's use the physical play for a second, right? Um, when my kids were very little, I would take them to the playground all the time, probably once a day, right? <laughs> if, if I could. Um, and I would often play with them, right? I showed them how to climb. I didn't let them climb alone until I knew that they weren't going to fall, right? Um, mm-hmm. Um, I would I would run around with them on the jungle gym when they were when they were little. And I also did a lot of when they interacted with other kids in like a sandbox saying things like don't hit share be kind. Right. Here's how you here's how here's how you talk. Right. I was modeling and constantly redirecting and intervening in bad, playful behaviors so that Uh they would learn learn better ones. Right. We do that in Uh schools. Right. That's what teachers do. That's what school teachers are doing they're often starting to teach all these lessons about what are appropriate ways to communicate unfortunately we don't do a lot of that in the digital world we often just sort of let them go by themselves and so the reason i want parents to play with their kids uh, or at least ask their kids or at least notice what their kids are doing is so that parents start to intervene and say you know here's better ways to communicate in a digital space here's ways to interact in this space that are aligned with my values as a human being um, and, and we're not really doing that um, right now. We're often saying, you know, if we, when we do give them so-called screen time, <laughs> they're often locked alone in their room or they're, uh, or they're on a sofa with, you know, staring into a single thing with no guidance and no mentorship from anyone but the other players. Um, and oh, so wait, that's, that's, Jordan? Jordan? Yeah. Did yeah. you move away from your microphone? No. Did you lose me? A little bit, yeah. But now you're fine. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so, so what I was saying was, um, hold on, I'll, I'll, I'll find a good place to pause so that you can edit. Where do, what's the last thing you heard? <laughs> they were, well, I could hear you. They were just locked in their room and just that, yeah. that's no good. Yeah, they're, well, if they're, they're locked in their room or they're sitting on a sofa with an iPad and, and they're very much in a, in, a, in a solo world without any mentorship from the adults around them. And, that's, and, and that's, not, that's not a good thing. Now, the second part of your question was about how do you stop kids when, they're, when, when you know they've had too much. This is, uh, this, this, one is a, this is a question I get all the time. Um, and it's hard, but uh, I, I don't think that that's really because, you know, we sort of have this narrative that that's because digital technology is so compelling. I don't really think that's true because uh, my kids, I can't get them to stop building with Lego either, right? Uh, that's a constant <laughs> fight too, right? I, I think that's totally normal for kids to be yeah. really, 
really engaged in what yeah. they're doing and to not yeah. be able to prioritize time. That's one of the things we do as parents constantly. We nag and we redirect and we try to say, hey, here's a better way to organize your time. It's time to come to dinner. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what they're playing. It's time to come to dinner. They don't want to stop. That's normal. Um, and yeah. you have to teach yeah. them how to make those decisions. And so, uh, you know, I, I, what I don't want any parent to think is, oh, I can't, I hate when I hear parents say, I can't get them to stop when they're doing it, right? Uh, of course, it's hard to get them to yeah. stop, but you can get them to, and you actually have to tell them to stop and change it. And they might throw a temper tantrum. And you may have to do that every day for a year until the temper tantrum stop because they built the habits of, of in a different way. Yeah. Well, I also, when my kids were little, one thing that I found that did help, and I'm sure you've probably done this too, is, you know, just say, okay, 20 minute warning. Okay. 15 minute warning. Okay. You know, and just notch it down like that because at least something is going into their brain. No, no, I, I think that's absolutely, you know, giving them the warning, but I, you know, the, I, people say that often. And I, I also want to just point out, it doesn't work perfectly, right? Right. They still fight no, in the no, last no, minute, no. just a little less. <laughs> oh, completely. But at least you're not totally, you know, disrespecting them for one to me. Uh, uh, and I know for you, respect is a huge thing yeah. with the kids. Kids. So that's why the, the warning thing. But the other thing, uh, oh, there were a couple of other things that I wanted to ask you about. But, oh, one point that you brought out, which I really appreciate. It's one of my big top priorities is that when the parent comes to say, show me what you're doing and plays with the kid and learns about the kid and the kid sees that the parent sees them. That is huge. Can you tell us about uh, your yeah, thoughts I mean, and experiences this, with that? This is one of those things where I think I, I'm often shocked at how bad we are at, at it as parents when it comes to the digital world. Because, like, we all go – we go to our kids' soccer games, right? I, I, there's nothing more boring than watching a kid at a soccer game. But we do it in order to show them <laughs> that we appreciate their, their – that they Aww. care about the things that they care about. And we support them yeah. and that we accept their – their their uh, journey of self development um, and that we honor it and that we want, uh, and that and we need to do that in every part of their lives right um, uh, uh. you know so to me that's not even a digital question as much as and, and parents are great at it for things that they remember being part of their own lives right parents are bad at it for things that they don't that they don't are unfamiliar with wow that's huge Jordan. <laughs> Oh my God! Huge and humbling, hugely humbling, I would say. Well, well <laughs> but so true, and, and what a wake-up call! And right? it's not yeah. hard. It's not hard. I mean, one of the reasons I like no. to frame it that way is because I think you know I, I am picking on parents a bit when I say it, but I'm also saying, but if you think about it that way, it's really not that hard to sit down next to a kid for five minutes and right. go, "What are you doing? Show it to me." Oh, that's kind of cool. By the way, there's lots of times when I sit down and I go, "That's stupid. I don't know why you like that," and that's fine too because <laughs> my engagement with what they care about shows that what they care about has value. Even if my judgment at the end is not the same as theirs, I've still shown them my willingness yeah. to engage in their world. Right. And if that even kind of, you know, disagreement is done respectfully, then that's, that's a mutually respectful relationship because it's honest. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm very yeah. much for the for the honesty. My kids would tell you, you know, there's right. times when I tell them, I think that, that you know, and, and as somebody who played games with them for years, I'm often like very in, in a, in a uh, critical of things like video game mechanics. I'll be like, this is a dumb game. And right. I don't get why you like this game. But that often then becomes a whole discussion of building media literacy where I'm talking about why I don't like that game, what I think the problems are. If it's the, maybe it's the representation of characters, maybe it's the actual yeah. mechanics of the game but th those are all yeah. opportunities i do that on tv too if i see them watching television yeah. and there's a thing that i think has uh has problematic imagery uh whether that's violent right. or sexist or racist i i open yeah. the conversation about it i don't just scream at them and go no you can't watch this right um I, I mean i guess if it was extremely uh one of those things i might do that but but in most cases i'm talking about regular network television i often go that, that mm -hmm. seems to have a sexist connotation in what it's saying i why do you, why are you guys okay with that, with that message? Right. Oh, uh, fabulous. Just fabulous. That, that just makes a hundred percent sense. Uh, good sense. Now, one other thing I noticed a chapter in your book titled empathy yeah. and uh, there's, there's a juicy topic. <laughs> what kind of thoughts do you have on that? Yeah. Uh, well, the, you know, the, 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 that's an it's an interesting chapter one of the things i do in that chapter is go through the entire history of of empathy um which is a modern a very modern concept um uh 20th century uh concept uh the word comes from from uh, -huh. uh, uh was was coined in the 20th uh, maybe the late 19th century or the early 20th century i can't remember but it but it, and it's from greek words but it's not a greek word um <laughs> um, it, um, uh, the, the, I, I really wanted to look at it because I was what I wanted to point out is how much the way we think about empathy uh, is tied to uh, industrial age technologies and why we needed to update the way we think about it so that we could maintain the same values that are under that underlie what we mean when we say empathy, which are often values, again, about the same social emotional values we're trying to build this, this ability to recognize others perspectives, this ability to have compassion for others. Um, you know, listen, there's no, uh, there, there, there's, uh, I know there's a lot of concern parents have that digital tech is in the way of the building empathy. There's no research that supports that. There's lots of research showing that actually there's more empathy. Uh, that often what happens is that is the especially in like online multiplayer games, there's a lot of research that has shown that's shown that 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 kids end up um, forming relationships based um, only on their on what's present rather than on things like gender or race or religion or ethnicity or a lot of the problematic things that are often in the way of of, of empathy in, the, in 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 the rest of the world i don't quite understand that because they don't even see each other well, one, so well, they, things well even if they do see each other they don't actually care because all they care is can you help me win the game <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Why? <laughs> right. They, they're very focused on uh, it becomes a sort of task based relationship. Um, 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 I mean, I'm sure some of it's about when they can or can't see, but more uh, the larger issue for them is the existing meaning symbol system in the game and whether or not they can play in it together. And by the way, when we're talking oh, about empathy, all we are talking about is whether or not we can uh, share in a meaning in a symbolic meaning system with someone else. Uh, okay. I think this is a different conversation because, <laughs> because to me, empathy, I mean, it can go very, very deep and it's, you know, reflecting other people's emotions and it, 
I, I see it as something that carries over in different relationships and uh, okay, you have one experience, but then that carries over into another experience, not related specifically to that experience. So I, uh, what do you think about what I'm just saying? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think that I don't think that's in any in any contradiction. Um, I, I guess what I was what yeah. I was trying to get at is is that the way that we demonstrate that both to ourselves and to others is by sharing mm-hmm. a meaningful system of representation. Right. Um, and I don't I don't mean that in terms of identity representation as much as as language. Right. Um, so so. Um, you know, our my ability to both express to you that I can feel what you feel, or that I can, uh, or that I can imagine what you feel, and your ability to 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 hear that uh, it creates that empathetic relationship. It's never as simple. You know, we can't do it with nothing, right? <laughs> right? We can't. We, I mean, we right. might still feel something, but it's meaningless if we can't do anything with it, and that involves a, a, some sort of symbolic system after that. Right. So, so, okay. so I might sit across from, I might, I might sit across from a, uh, you know, if I'm, if I go to the zoo, I might sit on the other side of that glass wall across from the chimpanzees. And I might be like, I kind of feel what they feel, but neither of us has, we're stuck in between each other. So we can't, we can't express that back and forth. Now, once we can touch, we start to be able to create some kind of language, uh, some kind of communication. Right. Um, and, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But but if we're just sitting there yeah. on, on the opposite sides of a two way mirror, uh, we don't we, we don't a one way mirror, you would call it. Right. Then we don't necessarily right, right. we don't necessarily we, you know, that, that that's just sort of empathy floating in the air. That's not what we're trying to build. We're trying to build empathy that's expressed in the world. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, fascinating. Well, okay. I can't trip you up at all here. I mean, I'm all for empathy in the air also. That's a great thing too, but the the, the harder thing is bringing it into the world. (laughs) Exactly. And being true to yourself at the same time. I've I've talked to other uh, educators, you know, where, where empathy can be kind of uh, a a heady kind of a show of it, but is it coming from someplace deep inside and truly heartful, you know? And so, that's layers upon layers that we could talk about. Yeah. And in the, in that chapter in the book, I actually deal with um, uh, uh, Martin Buber, who was a a philosopher right when they, the the idea of empathy was, was was being decided uh, was actually who his entire philosophy is about the importance of loving relationships. And he was very much against the term, the ideas behind empathy because he thought they involved Mm -hmm. uh, having to let go of some of yourself. And he wanted an idea that, that was, it got to what you were just saying. How can you both stay too, true to yourself? How can you feel into someone else without losing yourself? Um, and I think, and exactly. honestly, this is what I'm saying when I say you should sit with kids and play video games because, and you shouldn't always agree with everything they're doing, right? You want to honestly yeah. say, here's me as a respectful person engaging with you as a respectful person and, and acknowledging mm-hmm. that we can both connect over whatever it is that you're playing. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that, Jordan. And um, I guess I know your time is precious, so maybe I should let you go, but um, I don't want to. But well, it's I okay. You want to make sure. Another that... question or two. It's okay. Uh, okay. Um, uh, what, what kinds of resistances do you get from parents that you're able to help them beyond, uh, you know, and move beyond so that they can have more satisfying relationships with their kids? 
Uh, well, again, I think I think you've spoken to a lot of the big resistances all, all, all already, which are often about the about this worry. Uh, you know, whether we're calling it empathy, whether we're calling it social skills, and it's the, it's this it's this worry that that if we don't see the same kind of things that we did in our relationships, then then there those don't constitute real real relationships. And and, and helping get parents to see that that they are are, are less of that it's less about that 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 they that they need to learn. They didn't have to learn how to witness. They didn't have to learn how to witness their 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 kids a little bit more, right? We have a lot of controlling and not and not enough witnessing in our parent child relationships. Right, because when they're little, it was so easy to just be in control, and we just have to at a certain point, even like four or five years old, just start be more witness and it's just wow that's such a tra transition for us yeah although i'll say um, something that's interesting is that when they're little we often are very good at it because we're we're so excited right they're so cute right <laughs> they're so cute when they're little. <laughs> we're like i love watching you discover yeah. in your own way because it's so adorable yeah. but then they get to be like 12 and they're like little uh yeah. mean-spirited <laughs> they have means you know they have like they, they start to have yeah. all the ugly stuff about humans starts to grow and you start to then try to like push it out but yeah. you need to witness also as in while 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 pushing and steering and and helping them navigate and mentoring but you also need to witness as they discover uh uh and ex through the experimentation with certain kinds of attitudes that i you know i there's lots of days i don't like my kids right <laughs> there's lots of days i hear them and i go right. i don't like this but my job is not to it, it right. doesn't do anything to scream at them and say change it does a lot more to say okay let me let me right. do, let's talk about why you're acting this way let's think about it let's discuss together whether this is a good move for you i love that so that's that's just the way it has to be. Otherwise, you set up all these walls, which we talked about before. Yeah, so and you important. and you and then you get bigger rebellion, or worse, you get you get self-loathing because they still feel your 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 mm. your your lack mm. of pleasure in their behavior, no matter what, right? So mm. you know mm. uh, they all know, they know when you disapprove, right? So what you need to do is make mm. sure that I mean this gets to the same point. They need to be able to understand. You need to be able to articulate what it is you disapprove of, so that they don't internalize that as as something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Ooh, very and, and, and very often I, what's happening to kids right now is they are you know, in, internalizing this idea that their interest in screens uh, is something wrong with them. Right. Um, because they're getting from parents, you know, the, the, the parents walk over to this screen, which is for, for, for a preteen, for example, their, their entire, sense of meaning their entire sense of self their entire social relationship and their parents walk up and go get away from that you're addicted it's evil right right um and and so they start to think there's something wrong with them and because they feel that they love this thing and but they also feel that the parent they love doesn't love this thing uh, what you also said is that um it's kind of like a security blanket because it's predictable and and there's a huge thing in that when the parents are fighting or there's divorce yeah, or absolutely. there's all kinds of unpredictable uh, values in other parts of their life, like when it's COVID-19 pandemic time or whatever, there's something, the rules and the predictability and the uh, engagement that it inspires, uh, that's something to hold on to. It's an anchor that's 
feels worthwhile. So yeah, and that's especially true as they move into their pre, into their teen and into their preteen and teen years, right? This is why you know this is why why sports are, are playing sports. It becomes important to kids, right? They have it has predictable rules in a world that's full of a lot of mm-hmm. chaos and a lot of misinterpretations. You know, when you're when you're when you're a preteen, you haven't learned much about the world yet. So you know, you know, you what you find all the time is that you say something that felt fine to you, and suddenly your friend is angry, or your mother is angry, or your teacher is angry, and you don't even know how that happens, right? Those that's when you have to start to confront all the rules about life that are not clear, right? Mm-hmm. It's not clear, always clear mm-hmm. how people will respond to your behaviors. And so we learn how to measure those things as we get older. But for a preteen, they're just at the beginning of that. But a, a video game's great because they understand that every time they fall off the, the, the platform, <laughs> it's the end of the life for the avatar, right? right? And, and that's mm-hmm. a nice, you know, it's so simple. It's so easy and therefore, and therefore it's comforting to them, um, especially when they're, you know, what I, what I've noticed about my, my, my kids are older now, but when they, even when they were preteens, uh, what, they're both teenagers now, but when they were both preteens, I noticed they would come home from school and they would get on these online multiplayer games with all of their friends from school. Right. So it was sort of like, like the game created the perfect, uh, the, the, the perfect rule-based structure in which they could then do the normal, same exact social interactions that I did as a kid. <laughs> and so I, I know there's not a, a, a black and white transference over, but do you see some kind of transference over with those rules from the video game and then being able to, I don't know quite what I'm trying to ask here, but something about rules and, and predictability. <laughs> okay, they have it in the video game. Is that just a security blanket until they outgrow it? and they're more mature what are you thinking there um well i mean i mean you know it's going to depend on the kid when they when if they even outgrow it right i guess you know some people play video games their whole whole life but i think the question you're asking is whether it trans whether those the, the skills they build to play the game transfer to other parts of their lives and i would say there's not really clear research about this, uh, but I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be true, right? Like, like we do know that if you play marbles a lot, right, you build certain social skills, right? They transfer from marbles to other places, so why wouldn't they transfer from a video game to other places, right? It's never, we're never doing the same thing over and over again. We're always taking what we learned in one playful situation and moving it into another. Um, now, what you're not getting when you're playing a video game, as we said earlier, is a lot of the face-to-face kind of social skills, right? So it's not going to transfer. None of those are going to transfer, but a lot of the other ones are. And I think the the main thing, that big, huge point was that we can't leave them alone with any of this stuff because then then there's no no assurance at all that the, the, the lessons that they need to be developing as they're growing from little kid to preteen to teenager is none of their, those lessons aren't going to be there. So that sharing of those games, at least to some point in the TV shows and whatever, just like you were saying, is super important because you made a point about rather than censoring to be mentoring and guiding. And I think finding that, that way to finesse into that that's respectful and mutually respectful is is really the bottom line it seems to me of what you're trying to bring into the world that's just got infinite value for this generation yeah absolutely um uh, the only thing i want to i want to just clarify um um 
is, yeah. is, is that while I'm all, I, I'm all for that, I also don't want to give the impression that you should never let them be alone with it, right? Like, like yeah. they should certainly have one, the time alone, because that's important to have time away from your yes. parents to experiment. But also one of the things I realized really early when I started doing research for the new childhood was that, was that there were so many parents who were so afraid of screen time that they wouldn't even let their, their kid like watch a video for 10 minutes. And I was sitting there going, you know, if they had had YouTube when I was, when I was, had a newborn, it would have been great. I used to have to like put the kid in a bouncy seat while I showered and peek my head through every two seconds and it was really stressful it would have been great if i could have been like watch this video for 10 minutes and then i'll play with you <laughs> right and i and and right now yeah. we have parents who are so terrified of screen time that they're that they're not taking advantage of the opportunity to say a 10 minute break is okay right no kid's gonna get hurt because they watch the video for 10 minutes right um right, right right now if you're letting them watch a video for eight hours a day when they're a newborn that's really terrible right they're not getting all the important yeah. interaction that they need but if you need yeah. 10 minutes to shower so that you can give more of that important interaction then absolutely do it <laughs> yeah thank you i i have one mother in particular who is going to just that's going to give her so much relief uh Oh, oh, I know what other thing I wanted to say, and this is kind of off topic in a way, but like when we were kids, we were listening to a certain kind of music that our parents hated and the grandparents especially hated. And then, uh, you know, now we may have a little adjustment period to listen to rap music, you know, and it's just like there's always, always going to be new stuff that's going to break the boundaries from the previous stuff. It's just going to break the boundaries. So yeah, that's yeah. life. Yeah, I mean, what we're always trying to do is, we, you know, we, we get confused between what is essential to, to the human experience or to the child development experience and what's, and what's a trend or a fashion. And, uh, and, what, uh, and that it's a hard, it's not easy to know. I'm not suggesting like <laughs> anyone should know easily. Often we look at things and we go, yeah. hey, that, that's what felt, felt like essential childhood to me, but we're trying to maintain a trend. Um, and, and, and so our resi we were resistant for that reason. And we have to be really careful because, you know, that's exactly what, what happened right now. Now, Bob Dylan won the Nobel prize for literature and like there's best-selling books about magic mushrooms, right? <laughs> right. Like, like that would yeah, never yeah. have been possible 50 years ago. That's mainstream right. now. And that's not so right. much because boundaries expanded as much as we discovered we could maintain all the same values, even in a different meaning system. Um, and, and it takes time to go through that process. Right. Like we still expect the same <laughs> kindness, the same love, the same moral re reality. We've just discovered that 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 in a different context, it, that those things are expressed in different ways. <laughs> that is so profound <laughs> and so important to really digest that concept, because life is in layers. Yeah. And so to just and so to just be very conscious and clear. I love what you said. That is so important. That is not brought out often enough to separate the trends and the fads from the values and the deeper spirit of what we really want to bring to our children and our family and our life with them and our memories with them going forward. Yeah, I mean, again, wow. child rearing and education, both of them, if I had to say what they are, essentially, and this is, I say this in the yeah. new childhood many, many times, 
you know, our job is to go, how do we take all the old things, some of them ancient things, right? The old ancient values uh, and make sure they still remain relevant as the world changes around them. And that's always what we're doing, right? That's what teachers do. We go, there's a bunch of old ideas you can't lose, but we recognize that we need to we need to make them still meaningful because you're not living in ancient Athens. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Right. And, and to not be afraid of the stuff that's new and to, to just be very confident in the stuff that's, that's timeless. Yeah, and how do you carry that timeless yeah. stuff into a changing world? Right. That's really the, right. that's really our ultimate goal. Um, and you can't do it by fighting the changing world. Well, hallelujah, <laughs> brother. Thank you. Thank you with all of my heart. This is so important and so uh, incredibly valuable. Oh, Jordan, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for thank you uh, for for having me as a guest, and I hope that I hope that all of your all of your listeners uh, 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 get a benefit out of this. I I absolutely 100 percent know they will. I certainly have. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> thank you, Jordan. Uh, we'll be in touch, and I'll let you know when this all is. All right. Up. Sounds okay. good. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Hi, Maya. Hi. Hi. I just quickly wanted to get your thoughts that you shared with me a couple of days ago about your reaction and the effect that it had on you after you heard Jordan Shapiro's uh, insights about kids and video games. Just even a couple of words would be fantastic. Sure. Yeah. So... I found the interview um, just such a breath of fresh air. And um, I have a 14-year-old son. He um, really into gaming. He spends as much time as he possibly can um, playing video games and doing that sort of thing. And um, it was just really a relief to... Um, just to drop in and feel the deeper, the deeper pulse of that. This is um, a new era. This is very common that this is happening. It's normal, and that this is also, although um, the whole gaming world is new, uh, this is a repeat of every generation and new things that have come into existence and people have resisted. And <laughs> and then the deeper thread being that what's most important is not to resist, but to connect. <laughs> and I really love that message. Yeah, I think you're right. And so uh, ha have you noticed that helping in the whole dynamics in your family? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, it's, it's put me more at ease. And um, I feel like it's a work in progress as far as creating more connection and more trust. Um, of course, of course. But yeah, definitely we're, we're, it did, it did just sort of shine some light on it, it when we were feeling really doomsday about it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let you go, but I so much appreciate your taking, squeezing the time out to, to share your real life experience with this whole concept. Thank, Aww, you. thank you. You're thank welcome. You. Ciao. In Jordan's recently published book, The New Childhood, you can read about much more of the groundbreaking research in economics, psychology, philosophy, and education, 
which shows how technology is actually a necessary element of a brighter future for today's children, one in which they'll be able to create better models of global citizenship, connection, and community. And again, Jordan doesn't just provide research. He also shares practical advice with actionable approaches for using technology to engage with kids in order to nurture their well-rounded development and growth into a world we can barely imagine. All right, until next time, thank you again for being here. Oh, and if you haven't already, got to ask you, please give those reviews and uh, ratings on iTunes. It really, really helps. Thanks. Until next time. Thank you.